Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. This morning we'll be hearing from two passages from God's Word. Our first reading is Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God, my Saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem, then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Hear the word of the Lord. Our second reading is Luke chapter 18, verses 13 to 14. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke chapter 18, verses 13 to 14. For the text, stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, uh, it's uh, my privilege to preach in chapel three times this week. And uh, uh, Ridley Chapel, for some of you, uh, I remember from the weeks one over the years, is a bit of a surprise in some ways. So the prayer book service is kind of introduced with an embarrassed giggle um, and uh, people are not that familiar with it uh, necessarily. One of the great things about the college is the breadth of our student body It's one of the few places in Melbourne where all the tribes of evangelical Christianity come together. So it's a wonderful thing. 
So I thought I'd do three sermons looking at prayer book chapel services, kind of a deconstructed chapel service, three chapel chapel services, uh, sermons, if you like. And I've given you a handout for the week um, in case uh, you want to follow on. Uh, deconstructed is a word some of you will only know from hipster cafes when you pay $5 extra for less cooking. Um, so on Wednesday, we'll look at why we pray the Lord's Prayer. And on Thursday, why we say the creed. Today, why we confess our sins. And it's a fair question, isn't it? Because uh, as believers in Jesus, we understand that there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And we rejoice in that fact the gospel of the grace of God through faith uh, unto assured certain hope. So why do we confess our sins? I think sometimes an extreme example can be instructive, one where the volume's been turned up. So, uh, for example, if you wanted to learn about soccer, uh, scoring goals, you'd uh, watch uh, videos of Sam Kerr. Uh, if you want to know how to swim really fast, you'd uh, learn from Ariana Titmus. If you want to know how to play tennis, you learn from Ash Barty. So these are elite examples. What we have here is an elite is an elite example of sin and its confession. Because as you'll see from the superscription to Psalm 51, it's about how David confessed his sin after he committed adultery with Bathsheba and we could add uh, undertook steps that led to the murder of Uriah, her husband. Certainly Christians have for centuries understood this psalm as a model of confession and I think it provides lots of good reasons for confessing our sins. Indeed, it shows us the grounds on which we appeal for forgiveness, the depths of our need for forgiveness and the way in which confessing our sins relates to the rest of our lives before God. And I think much of this is actually reflected very well in the liturgy in the prayer book with the prayers of confession. So what can we learn from David's elite or extreme example of confessing his sins? There are six points. Uh, don't look ahead to future sermons if you get bored. Just try and uh, exercise some self-control. And uh, you can see the six point points in your notes. We'll go through them as we move through the psalm. First of all, when we confess our sins, we appeal to God's mercy and compassion. We pray have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So, friends, I think here we see the beauty and power of the poetry of the Psalms. And to read the Bible well, you need to know how to read poetry. Uh, oftentimes we prefer, some of us at least, prefer literal communication, literal discourse. But the truth is... Figurative discourse, which we find so much in the Psalms, actually communicates more rather than less meaning. You've got three threes here. Did you notice? Three words for sin, transgression, iniquity, sin, making the gravity of David's misdeeds clear. All three in different Old Testament contexts relate to breaking the law. And David, as we've already noted, broke the laws against adultery and murder. We have three verbs that explain the urgent need for our forgiveness. Blot out implies human records needing to be erased. Wash away compares forgiveness with a washing and cleansing. 
when we're filthy before God and cleansing is drawn from the liturgical ceremonial law in which, in which uh, one is purified for temple service and participation. And then finally, the third three, our need for forgiveness is met by God's mercy, his unfailing love, his compassion. So when we confess our sins, we depend on God's covenant faithfulness and tender mercies. It's a great example of how figurative language works in terms of repetition and imagery. If we had this in non-poetry, in more concise prose, all David's saying is he needs to be forgiven and he needs God's mercy. But that's kind of tedious, isn't it? It doesn't really seep into your bones the way you'd like it to. It drains it of its force. So our sin means that we have a record against us that needs to be removed. We're dirty before God. We need to be washed. We're impure and excluded from his presence. But our great need, friends, is that our appeal is to God's mercy and compassion and undeserved love. So when we confess our sins, we appeal to God's mercy. Secondly, we acknowledge our specific moral failures. Uh, David feels condemned unholy and unclean. Uh, He says, the reason is, verse 3, for I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. There's a fourth word for David's sin, just piling it on. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge, when you condemn me. David's sin hangs over him like a cloud and affects everything he's doing every day. I think the context here is important, the historical context. If we take the superscription seriously, and I think our Old Testament department's divided on whether we should or not, but I'm going to go with it. Uh, David's confession took about a year uh, to undertake after his sin. So uh, it was a while, and he didn't have the sense of having sinned until the prophet Nathan told him a story. So a little bit of uh, advice here, friends. If a prophet comes up to you and says, let me tell you a story, run the other way. And uh, you can read about that story in 2 Samuel 12 and in remarkably concise but powerful words, uh, four monosyllables, Nathan nails him when he says, you are that man. It just sends shivers up your spine. Um, So, friends, I think here what we need is some self-awareness. And when we come to confess, each of us will have different failings, different Uh, besetting sins, if you like. And we need to have some sense of what our regular sins are. What what do we tend to gravitate towards when it comes to transgression and evil? Is it pride? Is it greed? Is it lust? Is it sins of the tongue? Is it anger, bitterness, self-centeredness, holding a grudge? All of these things will affect each of us differently. And David says, I know my transgressions. So do you, do I, do we know our transgressions? David confesses his specific sin, his transgressions, his breaking the laws, uh, breaking of the laws of adultery against adultery and murder. 
Now, you might wonder, and I have wondered this myself when I started getting into Anglican services, why do we include confession in our services when I don't have a specific sin to confess? And I think the answer is in verses 5 and 6, because true confession acknowledges not only specific moral failings, but also our general moral impotence. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. So David acknowledges not just his specific sins against Uriah and Bathsheba, but against uh, his general moral impotence. He was born a sinner. At no time in his life was he without sin. From his earliest days, he faced that inattention knowing that God desires truth and wisdom, reliable and productive, fruitful living before him. God understands our weakness, but he still wants morally reliable worshippers. Christian faith is really the only worldview among the mainstream worldviews in our day that takes this seriously. The two alternative worldviews, if I can uh, summarise them really quickly, and uh, tread on some toes, perhaps uh, secular humanism, which is really looking at the world through rose-coloured glasses. It thinks that through education and technology and reason, without looking up, the whole world will be transformed. And it keeps getting disappointed because the optimism that followed the First World War was interrupted, let's say, by the Second World War, and the optimism that... uh, came along with the coming down of the Iron Curtain across Europe in the 80s and 90s, led to the Baltic Wars, and the optimism in the 20th century led to the problems in all sorts of countries, not least the one that's on our mind at the moment in the Ukraine. Uh, Social justice, without looking up, is another worldview that doesn't take seriously the breadth and depth of human sin. Social justice narratives without God tend to limit human evil just to a couple of things, to prejudice and discrimination. And they divide the world into three groups, those against whom these sins have been committed, the victims, yep, those who are their loyal allies and those who are the perpetrators. And sin is really kept just for the oppressors and the perpetrators because the people in the middle suffer from a kind of self-righteousness that they're actually on the side of the oppressed and the oppressed don't think they've done anything wrong or could do anything wrong and um, that's not to minimise the wrongs done against them. But nonetheless, Alexander Solzhenitsyn was right when he said, the dividing line between good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Reminds us that the Christian story, the one in which we live, is the bleakest and also the brightest because of our sure hope on offer. So when we confess our sins, we appeal to God's mercy. We acknowledge our specific moral failures. We acknowledge our general moral impotence. In verses 7 to 9, we seek full forgiveness. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. So the cleanse, wash and blot out, uh, picked up again from verses 1 and 2, just put in reverse order. 
Uh, David spoke there of here of being cleansed with hyssop. Uh, hyssop was used at the religious ceremonies to sprinkle sacrificial blood on the altar. The other puzzling feature, we don't have time to go through it in detail, but is the bones. And I think in the Psalms, the association of bones with emotional anguish is not uncommon. So in Psalm 6, verse 2, it says, Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, for my bones are in agony. And it's, um, it's a, a really um, deep and troubled description of how David is feeling when he says, Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Now you might think to yourself, why is David so anguished? Hasn't he read Leviticus? I mean, Leviticus is full of stuff about sacrifice and priesthood, which is there to lead to our forgiveness. So why is he so anguished? Um, I think the reason is because the sacrifices and priesthood of uh, Leviticus are really for inadvertent sin. They're not for high-handed rebellion against God. He needs to appeal directly uh, to God to his mercy for forgiveness. The joy, though, of a clean conscience and being in step with God, walking with him every day in the light is what we see in these verses too, uh, where he says, let me hear joy and gladness. Unconfessed sin will sap our joy, and when we confess our sin, we'll see the joy and gladness of the presence of God, because as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, The pure in heart will see God. Confess our sins, though. Forgiveness is not actually the ultimate goal because we see in verses 10 to 12 that we seek renewal and transformation. So we repent when we seek forgiveness and ask God for forgiveness. As our opening song sang these verses, I won't read them all. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit. Unconfessed sin makes us indifferent to how we're living and affects every aspect of our lives. And David's concerned about his ongoing walk with God, about falling into temptation again. Uh, The Apostle Paul reminds us in the New Testament that regret is not the same as repentance. He says in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Distinctive fear for David in verses 11 and 12 is that God will take his spirit from him. I think that the point here is that the spirit in David's day was given for specific tasks. His task as king, he'd already seen Saul's uh, role as king removed and the spirit removed. Uh, In our case, though, we rejoice in the fact we have the permanent indwelling of the spirit, but not something we talk about very much, but a Christian can be cast aside from service because of sin. 1 Corinthians 9 says, uh, Paul says, I work hard under God by God's grace so that having run the race, I myself will not be disqualified. Sixthly and lastly, when we confess our sins, we commit ourselves to the service of and worship of God. I think the most important word in the Psalms, the beginning of verse 13, then. Yep. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. You can almost put in brackets, 
if I was doing the Passion Translation or an expansive one, I'd say, then and only then uh, will I teach transgressors your ways. I used to take uh, a job over the uni holidays when I was a student and uh, I was an electrician's assistant crawling under houses and in roofs. I worked on assembly lines in the Victor Moa factory, the only man on the line who could speak English. And uh, <clears throat> another job I tried for a while was to sell the Encyclopedia Britannica. That's kind of Wikipedia in hard copy. <laughs> Goes back a long way. And I was a complete failure. You know why? I didn't own one myself. I hadn't bought one myself. And the same goes for preaching the gospel of grace to sinners. If you're not wearing that gospel yourself, you will not be able to preach it effectively. And uh, it's uh, very clear that uh, David understands this. Then and only then, with my sins forgiven, will I teach transgressors your ways so that sinners can be uh, restored to you. Now, a little confession on the side here. The word then, I looked up in Hebrew to see what the conjunction was like and couldn't find it. So I asked Andrew Judd he rattled on about something to do with adjustives and uh, these uh, other forms. So I, I gave up on that and I went back to... <laughs> The LXX in the Greek, and it doesn't have a, a conjunction in the Greek, but I uh, retreated to ascendaton, which is where you have a connection without a word. Yep. And it's actually more powerful because it's so obvious. Every translation I looked at, by the way, has then, and those of you learning Hebrew can explain it to me later. I do have some Hebrew, but it was a bit rusty on that particular point, it seems. So, as a forgiven sinner... Uh, then and only then can we teach transgressors God's ways. Uh, when we confess our sins, we commit ourselves to the service of God in teaching others the gospel of God's grace and forgiveness. Secondly, in praising God for his saving righteousness, verses 14 and 15. Deliver me from blood guilt, O God, you are my saviour. The blood guilt here is to do with his murder of Uriah, I assume. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. Again, the, pro the poetry so moving, tongue, lips, singing praise to God, and so on. Friends, we are only moved to praise God from the heart in spirit and truth when we know that he's delivered us in righteousness and we confess our sins regularly to remind ourselves of that fact. Lastly, when we confess our sins uh, we commit ourselves to the service and worship of God in living for God's kingdom. Now, these last verses have so much in them, but I'll just pick out the bit that I think is at the centre, namely verse 18. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. It's a kind of an oath of loyalty here for David. Now, what do Jerusalem and Zion have to do with it? Well, some biblical theology helps as you might imagine. Uh, Zion and Jerusalem had a central place in God's plans and kingdom and in the story of God's people. I think uh, um, you've just heard in the Old Testament class or you've been reminded of the history of Israel with the devastating destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, the rebuilding of the temple, and that the prophets look forward to a time when, I, I love this, in Micah and Isaiah, when the nations will stream up towards Mount Zion and uh, uh, the city of Jerusalem where uh, God's uh, throne sits. 
Uh, Jerusalem was the place of God's presence and kingship. And uh, Isaiah also speaks of the redeeming of Jerusalem and the returning of uh, the king to Zion. And then in, in Luke's gospel, we see the same thing because the godly Jews in chapter 2 are waiting for the consolation of Israel and the redemption of Jerusalem. So being forgiven allows us to get on with the program of living for God's kingdom. That's what David's saying. He wants to get with the program again now that he's forgiven. So, brothers and sisters, there's much to learn here about why we confess our sins. And I encourage you to take seriously confession in our services for specific sins and for general moral failure and to keep confession in your own private prayers. Um, long, long ago, I was taught the ACTS approach to uh, praying, adoration, thanksgiving, confession. No, wrong way around. Ad- I can't spell. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, asking for things. So all those four elements should be right through our prayers, and confession is so important. Psalm 51 answers the question of the first in our series of Chapel Chapel Sermons. Why do we confess our sins? Because we want to see God. Only the pure in heart will see God. We want to be renewed and transformed. We want to live lives of joy and gladness. We want to preach the gospel. We want to worship God in spirit and in truth. And we want to live for God's kingdom.